Guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm actually introducing it in this way because since the last time we were here, you'll see that we've changed from the Health Academy podcast to the Built for Life podcast. There's a few reasons for that, and we're going to get to it throughout this podcast today. But the Built for Life program is something that is an accumulation of my life's work and the vision and the mission that we're currently on to really lead high-performing people to physical and mental mastery through mitigating stress and accelerating confidence is one that means a lot to me, a lot to my clients, a lot to those who follow me, listen to me talk shite on it consistently on social media, and probably one person above all else who's actually joining me today on the podcast and will be probably for all future podcasts, which is my head of client development and behavior change expert, Jen Rolich. Say hello, Jen. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I actually thought we'd kick off first and foremost with asking Jane, what Built for Life is based upon a coaching perspective and also a client perspective because Jane's been working for me for the last 18 months yeah, but has been a client for the last four years. It'll be four years in August. I'll actually have been working for you two years next month. Yeah, I'm not good with numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we had that chunk of COVID, like fucking, yeah. we've just lost some time. time. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to give us it from a client perspective first, because you've been here for so long, and then a coach perspective? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting when I think about the evolution of the programme from when I worked with you in the gym floor to where it is now. And I can remember when you started the podcast originally, um, it was like the dead of lockdown. And I had just come hot off the heels of a really tough mental health period. And I can remember you saying, just stick in some earphones and walk. I remember we had that, all that really nice weather. Oh, so um, And it was roasting. I worked in NHS at the time, so I didn't get to see much of that nice weather. But at this point in time, I did. And I can remember just listening to the podcast and just taking so much, like, nuggets of golden wisdom that I suppose I did get elsewhere in the programme, but having you directly talking to me in my ears continuously <laughs> meant I really took some, so much more away from it. And it's so funny to think back to where that started, to the evolution of the programme now, that what was once focused very much around being a health education podcast is now actually how do you develop and change and build yourself for a well-rounded, sustainable, high-performing life, not just focused on your health, but... I think now we very much focus on the whole person in every area. And I think the point at which the programme is at now, with your expertise, with mine, with genes, we have ourselves really covered in terms of supporting people with every single aspect of their life that they find challenging or that they want to become a high performer in. Um, I think what we talk about all the time is like you're built, you're you're not born, you're built. Yeah. And I think that encapsulates exactly what we do now in the sense that you, the focus is only on how you achieve and sustain high performance. Like we're not really here to do the average middle of the road. Like here's your training and nutrition plan. Here's your result. See you later. Like, this is very much only for people who are willing to become high performers yep. or people who are already high performers that want to get even better. Like, we don't really accept or encourage average. And that, I think, is the thing that probably sets it apart, but the thing that makes what we do quite unique, um, that it's high performance or get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which it needs to be, because if you don't actually take people to that standard, and get them to realize like how they need to standardize their life in every single area their relationships their work environment the people they spend their time with themselves like when they're behind closed doors they need to be confident they need to be proud of themselves that they can stick to everything that they believe to be appropriate for the goals they want to achieve and those goals for many people who are high performers don't actually lie in the long-term goal it's always in those kind of small granular daily margins and these people you can see are so driven to get the next thing right because they know that thing accumulates over time to success and it's less about the end goal it's like building that life that you want to live now be proud of who you are now understand what that person looks like feels like operates like behaves like and they can create that for themselves on a day-to-day -day basis now knowing that what they achieve now today is just going to be so much better in a month's time two months time three months time like the guys that we work with and that we continue to coach like taking themselves from not being able to walk 5k steps 
or not knowing how to even tally up your step count, which is just generalized personal trainer chat. And yes, people need tips to improve these things. But going from that point to then realizing that they can be running marathons within the next six months, that they can be doing triathlons, Ironmans, they actually are seeking a higher form of self through pushing themselves to a new level. And they're not sacrificing best. They're actually wanting to be their very best and they're not just settling for being better. And they're always looking at how they can be better in each and every single area. And I think what would be actually so interesting, because... um. This past weekend, obviously, we were in Dublin for the Authority Network Conference, and I had spoke on one of the days, and I basically said, like, when you first heard of me, you thought I was a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like, Louise, obviously, in the programme as well, um, shared with me previously that her pal thought I was a big chicken and rice bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I just, it's that self-perception, um, or it's that stereotype that many people have. But that's how I did see myself for a long time when I was younger, like who I had to be to like put on this front. But I think over time as I developed, people didn't see me differently because they only seen what was on the surface. They never seen what was below it. And I think that's why so many people do get a surprise when they come into this program, they speak to me, they understand what the program's like, they, they, they communicate with you, they see what Jen's work is. When you started working with me all that time ago, what was your main focus and what were the results you wanted to achieve? And when did you realize that you had to do things differently and that this was different for you based upon the things you tried previously? So I think um, I can totally relate to thinking that you were a big chicken and rice bastard because <laughs> I can remember seeing you. Obviously knew of you, we didn't know each other, but I knew who you were. And um, I, I would have I would have told you then that we were polar opposites. And I think had we met, it's, it's a great thing we met when we did, because had we met when we were in school, we would have fucking hated oh, each other. Oh, would have hated me <laughs> so much. Right, we would have hated each other. And it's funny because I remember when I told my friends, like, that I, like I was in your program and then that I was coming to work for you and they were like March to Thern you and March to Thern and I was like yeah I didn't really get what the big deal was um but I think it's interesting when you talk about that identity that you had to step into because it's who people expected you to be yeah and I think that's something that I see happen a lot to people that come into the program and it's definitely something that I was doing mm -hmm. when I joined you I was really trying to put on that hard front and that hard face and I think, like, with my experience, like, being in an abusive relationship for six years, you have no choice but to put on the front and to put on the hard face, right? Yeah. So so you get so used to being in that protective self mode that as soon as somebody starts to try and peel away the layers, you're like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> get yeah. out, stand back. And I think when I initially joined, you obviously I first joined with you online, yeah. and then I bullied you and you take me on face to face. <laughs> I wouldn't take no for an answer. I was too fucking busy. Right, exactly. Like the, you, you were a favourite though. So I was, like I was. when when it did open up, I was like, right, I'll just fucking give it to her. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it to that annoying girl that's sometimes funny. Um so I think and I, I needed to build find a way to build connection with someone who would understand me yeah and i think at that time i didn't know that that was what i needed mm -hmm. i was coming to lose weight for my wedding i was coming to lose five stone in six months um i, I got engaged in december 2018 and uh, january 2019 i went on a diet again i'd been dieting for i think 10 years probably at this point in fact, well longer than that, um, probably about 13 years-ish. Um, and I can remember, I think I went back on the Cambridge diet again. Anyone who doesn't know what the Cambridge diet is, I like to call it the astronaut diet. You only <laughs> eat things that come out a packet. And for the first four weeks, you don't chew anything, right? Um, so I think I did that again. I'd only ever known rapid restrictive weight loss and diets and stuff like that it won't shock you to know that it didn't work and it didn't last for very long and i regained the weight that i lost i spent time with a lot of cowboy pts that told me really mental mental things like hey, with the bin bag one. Oh, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so i had one pt who used to make me train wearing a bin bag because he told me he told me that the more i sweat the more calories i burn and i'm already quite a sweaty person right even when i was younger and i was really skinny i've just always been dead sweaty yeah so i can remember thinking like mate i really don't need to be sweating anymore than i currently am right and if this was true i think i would have lost a lot of weight a long time ago so i had to wear a bin bag he wouldn't let me eat in after five o'clock 
Like, I worked a full-time job, like most other people, like, who has having their dinner before yeah. five o'clock. <laughs> uh, I was only allowed six almonds and I had to chew them, like, a certain amount of times. It was just really, really mental, mental stuff. And I think the health and fitness industry at that time was a wee bit mental with, with maths and stuff. Yeah. It still is, but they're probably more, they're probably a bit more clever because people are more wise to it. Yeah. So I believed everything that you could possibly believe. And then um, I'd seen your Instagram and I'd seen a couple of the transformations and I'd heard people getting like really good results working with you. So I was like, right, okay, I need to find somebody who is right for me. I think I'd previously decided that you weren't right for me um, simply because of your messaging, but I'll forgive you because it was a wild time back then. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing your best to. Um, and so I obviously worked with you online, brilliant to take me face to face. And I think you were the first PT that actually gave a shit about my life out with what I was with, what I was seeing you on the gym floor for. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time I was just a big mental ball of chaos. I don't think I ever came in for a session without something chaotic going on in the background. Just to maybe stop you there slightly, the biggest standout thing for me was whenever I asked Jane how she wasn't losing weight previously, it was because she said she was stressed, right? <laughs> so she was like, I'm stressed, sticking to calories, it's just not working, the stress has stopped me from losing weight. Now, for anyone that's listened to this, let's just be totally fucking honest because we have to call a spade a spade. If you're stressed, stress doesn't stop you from losing body fat. People do one of two things. They either massively restrict and don't eat and don't prioritize time for food when they're stressed, or people go the opposite way and just eat their feelings because food numbs what you're currently experiencing. And if you're someone that really struggles to deal with specific types of emotions for whatever reason, the food will realistically allow you to dissolve what you are overwhelmed with. So can we be brutally honest now and say that's what you're doing? That is exactly what was <laughs> happening, right? So many people will resonate though. Oh, totally. And I think, I know now looking back, I was living with PTSD, right? I was yeah. living with like severe unresolved trauma. I was binge eating yeah. on a regular basis and I don't think I quite, it was almost as if I couldn't admit it to myself. Mm -hmm. So admitting it to you and like, no offense, but <laughs> at that time, you and me, anyone in the fitness industry was terrifying. Yeah. Back then the health and fitness industry wasn't really designed for people like me, right? I was told that I was fat because I was lazy yeah. and that I didn't want it enough and that I wasn't willing to sacrifice everything. And it's like, I've been sacrificing everything for the last 13, 14 years trying to get this. Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't want it enough, why have I tried to get it so many times over the course of my life, yeah. right? I'm tr I promise you, I'm trying, I promise that I want it. But I was just dealing with more than maybe the average person would have been. Yeah. And nobody was ever willing to understand that until I met you because you knew that the reasons I was giving you were bullshit, right? Yeah. And I think you were willing to peel away the layers and you were willing to challenge me, but compassionately, because I think you knew that although you didn't understand what had happened to me in a great level of detail, you were standing with the manifestation mm -hmm. of everything that had happened to me in, in the here and now. And I can remember, and it's totally sticks to my mind, and I know you'll know what I'm going to say, but there was one day that I was leaving the gym and you said to me, can you tell me the reasons why you want to change? Yeah. And I said, well, I want to lose weight from my wedding and I want to look after my health and... I wasn't really committed to the the reasons and you were like, mm, that's not really hitting the mark. And you were like, how many reasons did you give me for staying the same? And I was like, word vomit. <laughs> like, I think I rhymed off. I went home, I think I sat in the car and I wrote a list of reasons for staying the same. And I think I had 30 things Yeah. because my big body made me invisible to men. Yeah. It made me, it made me feel protective. I played American football because it made me feel strong, mm -hmm. right? I wanted to be able to shift and lift as much weight as I possibly could so that I had strength to defend myself, right? All those names. Right, exactly. So there was so many reasons for me to stay the same. And that was the day that everything changed for me. That was the day that everything shifted, I think, in my mind that I recognised if I want this to be different, I have to be willing to do something different than I've ever done before. Now you're sitting here. I know. So let's actually touch on that because... One thing I know that you're really good at delivering on is that those kind of minor decisions in your life cascade over time to just monumental shifts in the path that you're supposed to be on. Like, if we actually reflect on where you were then to where you are now, talk about some of the achievements from that point that you've succeeded at. Because there's actually, if we look back, 
taking into account personal health, relationships, professionally. Like we've overcame so much. And if you at that time had said, you know what, this guy's asking me uncomfortable questions. I'm not ready, not courageous enough to lean into this right now because all that stands between you currently where you are and where you want to be is courage. Like it's taking that step and it's making sure that you can put your best foot forward even if you don't know what is in front of you. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear for people. But what people don't quite realize is that their life's purpose lies in those fears. Like you should do things stressful on a frequent basis and stare fear in the face because that's the only way that you get good. I remember when you first came in to deliver a talk, I'd said to you like, Jane, I want to expand the program. I want to approach it in a different way so people are supported from a multifaceted standpoint. Can you come in and deliver a talk for me? And straight away you're like, don't know what the fuck I talk about. <laughs> now you can't stop talking. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if we go back and look at from that point, obviously lockdown happened. Um, let's talk through some of your achievements. Talk about the timeline. So it sounds really horrific to say because obviously COVID and lockdown and everything was a horrendous time for so many people. And obviously the gravity of the situation was horrendous. I hate to say it, but I thrived in lockdown. Same. I, I really thrived with the complete and utter control over my environment. I didn't have to people please. I didn't have to say yes to things that I wanted to say no to. There was no expectation for what I had to do. I worked in the NHS at the time, so I still had to go to work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not patient. I wasn't patient facing or anything like that. So I wasn't dealing with like the really traumatic stuff that a lot of people were. Um, but I still had to go to work. But other than go to work, my time was my own, and I can remember like that whole time we'd worked together for a few months. Um, the gyms closed, and I think at that time you transitioned fully into online. And I can remember speaking to you because you were scared. Yeah, you were really scared that what if people leave and what if this doesn't work and because online coaching was very much a thing like the same as you that face-to-face -face pts did kind of on the side yeah you know it wasn't really something that anybody i think as far as i'm aware at that time was really doing as a full-on thing because yeah. like pt and coaching programs as we knew it existed face-to-face -face then yeah all the online stuff was primarily because even looking back at some of the people within the industry that i look up to like they did online coach potentially full-time but it was just the simple here's your training here's your diet check in here you didn't really get to ask questions outside of check-ins you didn't yeah. really get other forms of support you didn't really get any form of education it was like here's your plan do what you're told check in and we'll make changes based upon what we've seen yeah and if you're not doing it don't bother checking in until yeah. you do it like don't bother coming back to me and telling me that you're not progressing and wasting my time unless you're actually putting the reps in and don't get me wrong Depending on your personality, your experience, the goals that you want to achieve, depending on how you like to be spoke to, how you like to be approached, that will work for some people. And then for others, we need that kind of compassionate approach like you needed. But yeah. also we've got to this point in time now where you've built those skills and built those characteristics that realistically you need me just to fucking tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's funny how you need different things at different times of your journey. Yeah. Um so sorry for interrupting. You no, 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 no. Um yeah, so I think at that time um nobody really know, knew how things were going to go my wedding got cancelled four weeks before it was due to happen um i hadn't hit the weight loss goal that i wanted to but i i, I had lost a good amount of weight and i had started to really build and change those behaviors and i can remember just having all this time where the only focus was me mm -hmm. um i got covid a week before the first lockdown um and i had it really really horrendously uh, i still have the long covid now i'm very fortunate that i don't live it to the same extent other people do um but at that time i was still navigating like how to breathe <laughs> again um <laughs> and just having all this time where the only focus was on me um and i can remember like anyone any clients listening to this who've been around as long as i have will remember like the 6 15 a.m workouts oh uh, remember them. oh my Zoom. god see sometimes it's so funny because facebook can be a total cunt right, right. <laughs> and it'll come up and it'll give me a notification like the sound on your video has been um removed for like licensing laws and i'm yeah. like what have i uploaded with music in it because obviously on the introduction of our open offices and like our weekly webinars we'll play music but then we'll You're start the recording, recording it. Yeah. after it yep. so i'm always thinking to myself like what the hell 
and I click on it and it's always one of those videos and it's like it's popping up to like toy with me and remind yeah. me <laughs> of like what life used to be like. I know. But the thing I loved about it then is obviously you were learning as you went, mm -hmm. but you were pouring so much effort into making sure that you were like an anchor for us through what was such a mental time for so many people. And you really, you were like the lighthouse. Like you were making sure that we had everything that we needed on open offices, on Wednesday educations, and check-in feedback, like making sure we were getting out our walks. Like everything was, every base was covered. And I think it was during that time that I really started to recognise that if you truly want to reach for high performance, you need to be willing. I, 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 heard, I can't remember if I heard somebody say this that came into my head when somebody else was speaking the other day, but like sometimes the only way you're ever going to change or make progress or go after what you want is if the rug is pulled so quickly from under your feet 100%. that you fall in your fucking arse and you have no choice but to get back up on your feet like i think a lot of the time people think that growth and high performance is a journey and it absolutely is but sometimes you need to be thrust and catapulted so far into discomfort yeah. that you have absolutely no choice but to find your way back there and i honestly think that is exactly what happened to me at that time that I recognise that average isn't going to do anymore. Yeah. Um, and so much stuff clicked for me that I recognise that the circumstances are never going to be perfect and everything that I want is 110% within my control. Um, so I made really, really good progress. I lost the five stone. I've regained some weight since, but we'll get there. Yeah. I, it doesn't feel like this almighty hold over me anymore the way that yeah. it used to. It used to be the only thing that I defined myself by. Yeah. And it's the last least interesting thing about me now. I was speaking to someone about this the other day and I was saying that if you get to your weight loss goal and you're still worried about like the scales going back up, you're still volatile over it, you get emotional when it happens, you're reactive, then you've not actually solved the problem. Like yeah. the problem is not that you needed to get to that weight. The problem is that you actually had to create a life for yourself that was synonymous with the values you have and one that actually works in your favor, i.e. you wake up every single day, you're fulfilled, you're energetic, you're passionate, you've got purpose, you know, and people have this, I'm going to call it a little bit of stupidity <laughs> because sometimes we have this blissful arrogance that things can be perfect and it's just not, like it's stupid to think that you'll never gain weight again, right? It is absolutely ridiculous to think that what you're trying to do throughout a process of change is build confidence within your character to know that if you put weight back on again, you can get it back off and that you switch it from a perspective of, oh no, I gained weight to, do you know what? I was enjoying myself. I was having fun. I was nourishing other values that I have. But do you know what? Even the way that I approach these situations, they're nowhere near as bad as they used to be. It used to be a binge. It used to be I couldn't yeah. stop myself for two weeks. It used to be that I would never um, go home on time. I would always stay out and be the last one to get a taxi home because I just needed that escape. Whereas the people that we work with now, if they do gain weight again, they stay in this, it's almost like this small boundary of weight gain where they're always maybe like six to eight weeks max away from their best. Yeah. So they know if they've got something coming up that they want to look their best for, that they can get back to that point. But better yet, they actually know sitting there makes them feel more comfortable. Yeah. They feel like they can actually enjoy their life. They've got more wiggle room to do things. They perform better because they're more nourished, they're more fueled and they actually have higher levels of clarity because the biggest thing that I see within any fat loss journey is that people struggle to achieve the end results sometimes in the fear for what then comes after, mm. like that maintenance phase because yeah. people are so scared of the food, so scared of putting the weight back on. But usually that is the secret to realizing that you won't think that way anymore when you're actually nourishing yourself accordingly because yeah. you think so distortedly when you're you're not nourished properly, yeah. you know what I mean? Absolutely. And the further away you get from homeostasis, which is basically where your body's in its most primed environment to have all mechanisms work appropriately because energy is going flawlessly to everywhere that it needs to. Um, the further away you get, the body is trying to get itself back to that. So it's going to tell you negative shit. It's going to tell you to eat more. It's going to tell you that you shouldn't go out and get your steps in or do your workouts because you're tired. It's going to tell you that, you know what, one piece of cake won't hurt and all of these sorts of things because it doesn't want you to push yourself to that level but that's where the mental resilience is built it's yeah. like taking yourself to that point i really don't think anyone can change significantly unless they push through that pain barrier and do something that they've never been able to do before which is like break those barriers with the relationships around food 
people in their life, people pleasing, relationships that maybe no longer serve them, socializing too much, overworking themselves, like yeah. staying behind at work, making sure that they are always the one who leaves last and gets shit done. There's always a way to distract yourself yeah. and avoid it. Yeah. But obviously during lockdown, that's what you were saying. There was none of that. Yeah. People like had so much time, they saw that distraction. And it goes perfectly with what you said at the very beginning that you have to create an environment to be successful in. And it doesn't matter if it's lockdown, doesn't matter if you're on holiday, because people always see these things as just opportunities to like let go of all your standards. But it's actually about knowing how you can create success differently in these environments to still yeah, get success. Absolutely. You know? And I think everything you were saying there about those small decisions, right? I think that was one of the biggest things that I've learned and I continue to learn is that the minor decisions in the moment always, mm. always correlate to a major outcome, right? It's like that butterfly effect thing. Yeah. The butterfly flaps its wings and then it creates a tsunami halfway around the world, right? <laughs> yeah. I realise that's a bit of an extreme example. However, <laughs> I, don't, I think people really underestimate the impact that uh, uh, the cascade of minor decisions has on a major outcome, right? Yeah. And I can relate to this because I still experience this as a client and as someone who's still on a fat loss journey, that when you've been on your journey for a while, and the interesting thing about a fat loss journey is I, I thought I was just going to be on a fat loss journey for the rest of my life, right? I just thought that was the way that it was always going to be. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I worked with you that I recognised this is actually meant to be a temporary thing. That's why it's so shit when you're doing it, yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's not designed to be a long-term sustainable thing you are supposed to only do it for a short period of time until the weight is off yep. and that's why it's so important to be adherent so that you don't get scunnered by it right and yep. sick of it that's why it is the way that it is and i think it's one of those things that you almost sort of like i think people think that they earn the right to flexibility from the get-go oh. you don't earn the right to flexibility until you can prove to yourself that you are able to be flexible 100%. and this is exactly where i went wrong I was five stone down and I thought I'm able to be flexible, it's cool, I'm in control and I was wrong, right? And I had to pay the price. Yeah. But what I recognise now is that I know that I have the capacity to do it, but I have to earn that right for flexibility. And you cannot earn the right to flexibility without first mastering discipline, yeah. right? Get motivation out the window is discipline that, you, that that's the thing that brings the result you're looking for. And discipline comes down to the minor decisions that people often underestimate, right? It's those things when you said you were going to do it and you break the promise that you made to mm. yourself. In that moment, it doesn't feel like that's going to have a catastrophic effect, right? But realistically, any sort of change, any change you want to make is a compound effect of making the decision that is 51% in favour of the change you're trying to create. Yep. So you want to make, in the space of 12 months, if you're on a 12-month journey, you want 51% of your decisions to be in favour of the thing that you're trying to change or achieve, right? Yeah. If it is only 51%, that change is going to come, but very fucking slowly. Mm -hmm. If you make 75% in favour, however, that's going to have a far greater impact. And I honestly think the thing that disconnects people so much from the journey is that they run on a 50-50 decision-making model, 100%. but expect a 100% result. And it just doesn't work like that. And I think when you can manage, and that's something that I've learned going on this journey again, when you can correlate your decision-making with the outcome, you don't get that expectation of what should be, right? So yeah. I know if I've been overly flexible and I stand in the scale and I'm three pound up, I no longer get an emotional attachment to that because mm -hmm. I can look at my stats and my metrics and say, yeah, that was where I fell down, that was where I fell down, right? Yeah. I know that although in my mind, if I think I've tracked adherently and my, my fitness pal says I've tracked adherently, my unconscious brain hasn't registered the four tablespoons of Biscoff I ate out the jar while I was waiting on my crumpet toasting, yep. right? My brain has only registered that one crumpet with, that I had with the Biscoff on it. So there's just such simple things like that, those really small metrics and those granular details that in the moment mean nothing, but in the longer term and that span of time, means so much yep. and people get so disenfranchised and detached from what they're doing because they don't correlate the input with the outcome absolutely honestly couldn't have put it better and i think there's a lack of like accountability now in this day and age and i don't know if it's all from how much we are consuming from a social basis like what's expected of us and obviously everything now is so accessible 
that if we don't feel good about ourselves and our actions, we can go find fulfillment elsewhere for a short period of time. And there's a small lag effect to that. And that's why we consume these things more and more often, because once you do realize that the dopamine wears off very quickly, you end up just getting sucked into it. Like, I know how I feel if, if I've sat on my phone for an hour. Yeah. See, if I've went to my phone for some form of dopamine, right? Because sometimes I can be bad if something else is going on in my life to distract myself or work, and I'll get a hat of dopamine from that. But see, if I'm then sitting in my WhatsApp replying to messages for two hours, mentally, I feel exhausted. It's like a dopamine overload. Like, I honestly feel as if I'm going to fall asleep. I feel lethargic. I start to feel as though I can't think properly. There's large brain fog. And that's what tends to happen when you engage in anything else. It's like when you engage in food to make yourself feel better, you then have to re-engage with the food after you've consumed the food because you start to feel guilty for consuming the food. So the only way to actually not consume the food, again, is to find another coping mechanism. But people aren't willing to create that space for themselves to think what else they can do. And everyone always tends to say, oh, you know what, I just can't overcome this in the moment. But what you have available to you in the moment is everything that you need. People think they need all the bells and whistles, like shiny object syndrome, like the next, the next best thing for getting in, in shape, the next best thing for controlling my life or controlling stress, when really what you have to do is improve your environment, you need to breathe more, you need to disconnect from your phone more, like you should be more uncontactable. It's so funny when we work with guys within the program and God bless them sometimes because they think that we don't know. <laughs> for those we know everything. We fucking know. Um, when we'll message them and we tell our clients to put boundaries in place with our WhatsApp, their communications. Jen and I have communication blocks throughout the day so we will basically reply to messages at certain times of the day because you just can't be contactable 24-7. Mm. You'll never get anything else done. You'll always feel overloaded. It's like the people who phone you and then go off the nut because you never answered your phone. It's like, <laughs> well, do you know what, I'm busy. Just because yeah. I've got a phone doesn't mean I need to answer <laughs> yeah. that. So we'll, we'll reply within our communication blocks and there's always the same people who will get back yeah, straight away. Yeah, and then when we challenge it, it's like, I've got my notifications off. I was just my WhatsApp. And it's like, well, if you've got your notifications it's worse. off, it's worse. <laughs> if you've got your notifications off, and you're on WhatsApp every time I come into WhatsApp, how fucking often are you yeah, on WhatsApp? Exactly, you know what I mean? Exactly. So you need to make yourself more uncontactable, improve your environment. You need to get things out of your environment if you don't have a good relationship with them. We've spoken about this before several times on walks, how people try and control things or feel like they can control things that have mm. control over them. Mm. Do you want to touch on that a wee bit? Yeah, absolutely. I don't believe that you can control something that is controlling you. Yeah. So like for a long time, food controlled me. So I believe that I could exercise a level of control over food that I just was not capable of. Yeah. I'm better and I've learned, but I know for a fact that if I'm feeling extreme emotional volatility, my first port of call is going to be to food. 100%. My first port of call is always going to be to eat. It's probably going to be that way for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. but I will manage it in a better way. Yeah. So there are some times where I know just for my own like sanity, I can't have easy access to food in the house Biscoff. right biscoff for example right <laughs> when people tell us they've only taken one spoon full of biscoff you're all liars i know you don't just take one spoon don't full try of and biscoff. kid a kidder <laughs> i know right i'm also putting 15 grams through when i've eaten 40 grams aye, okay for i 400 grams right <laughs> this is why i know all your tricks because i've done them too and still do them type of time so I can't have access to food like that when I know I'm feeling emotional volatility. And I do notice now, previously, where I would have eaten the entire jar of Biscoff in one sitting, I no longer do those kinds of things because yeah. I'm also not doing extreme restriction anymore. Yeah. But I just know that for my own well-being, I can't do that. And I think people say, say things quite a lot to us like, but I don't want to restrict and I don't want to have a negative relationship with food where I'm telling myself I can't have stuff, right? And you're still stuck in that scarcity mindset if that's the belief, yeah. right? You're still stuck in the scarcity mindset if you're telling yourself, I don't want to tell myself that I can't have that, mm -hmm. right? If you don't have the relationship with it, that you can have it until you feel satisfied and then leave it alone, then it's already an unhealthy relationship, right? Mm -hmm. If you're an alcoholic, you're not going to keep alcohol in your house. Exactly. You're not going to give yourself easy access to it if you're in recovery, right? If you're a drug addict in recovery, you're not going to go, do you know what, I'll just have a couple of lines of gear and then I'll call it a night, right? <laughs> you know that's not how it's going to work, uh, right? And I think, honestly, I think food addiction isn't really spoken about to the same extent as substance addiction. Oh, but I know huge. deep down I 100% have a food addiction, mm. right? And it's complex and it's nuanced and it's not straightforward. And sometimes it's great. And other times I can eat four takeaways in a week and not even notice that I've done it, yep. right? So it's something that 
you have to recognise that if it's controlling you and you're trying to exercise control over it, sometimes you have to remove the source altogether, right? And sometimes I have to go six weeks, just no takeaways, just as a rule, mm -hmm. because I know that if I have one, it, it starts that you. cycle for me again, right? And I think it's it's really, really important that when we look at health as an overall metric, we understand that this isn't about reinforcing a negative relationship with food. But if you have a relationship with food that's similar to mine, sometimes these are the things that you have to do to be able to heal from it. Yeah, yeah. And it's exactly what I had to do when I struggled with my binge eating. Yeah. And it was like, I already had discipline before that. And then obviously the binge eating disorder came in. So like to go from someone who had great discipline to now having no control over their food, it was just so abnormal to me. Didn't understand yeah. it massive embarrassment so much shame totally. and the and only i think way... sorry i was just going to say considering the environment you were in as well yeah. you were competing at physique shows you were trainer. a personal trainer you were around other personal trainers yeah, yeah. that adds a whole additional layer of pressure that you can't really hide in plain sight with something like that exactly exactly and i think the biggest thing now looking back on it was the only way that i actually got out of that was through more discipline mm -hmm. it was through restricting more when people hear that word Straight away, it's like you can't say anything in this day and age without people saying, oh, I don't fucking like that word. Don't like that word because it represents this. It's your own perception. For yeah. me, restriction is a necessary part of getting in good shape. Mm -hmm. Actually recovering from your poor relationship with food. Yeah. Because people say, well, do you know what? You just have to have a flexible diet and include everything. But they don't actually put metrics in place to understand what that looks like. Totally. If you, if you standardize that generalization of wording, to everyone, that can mean different things. Yeah. To one person who feels as if they've got the skill set to be able to manage just one chocolate bar per day would maybe manage that totally cool and not overeat, not binge. But then you've got someone else who might see that as, okay, well, do you know what? I can eat five, six, seven, eight chocolate bars today. And the thing is, the issue that then comes with that is like the way that impacts your gut. Obviously, your gut's got a direct like source to your brain through the valus nerve like it's a, it's a connector we know that the gut does play a role in like anxiety depression the way you feel like the lethargy um your blood glucose obviously like that sort of multi-ingredient process-based foods always like increase your blood glucose faster than others and you can get a lot of lethargy through higher levels of like insulin release as well because it's trying to manage that and what tends to happen is like people when they consume these foods in large quantities don't quite realize that that's actually a trigger to consume more of the foods like that. So if you're giving yourself a huge, like a huge amount of food just because you know you can be flexible with it and you think that's what almost recovery means to build a better relationship with it, then you're actually just putting one step forward to take 10 steps back yeah. because you are going to overeat and the way that you are eating isn't going to fuel you accordingly and appropriately for you to think more constructively about what you've just done. Yeah. And then that is just going to put you down an even darker hole. It's like a rabbit hole that people dig down yeah. and they look back at like the entry point of the hole and they think that they want to climb out of it, but they don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. So they go to what they've always known. Yeah. And when they cannot climb back out, they'll look at things that people say and they maybe take that advice on board instead of getting professional help and having someone actually guide them and support them through that process. And then when that doesn't work appropriately, they then blame that yeah. individual because their perception of what that person has said is what they take from it. Whereas there could have been another eight people that took different things and actually benefited from it. That's why I think taking standardized information online is so poor mm -hmm. from people these days instead yeah. of actually investing in someone they trust, someone they resonate with, to actually make it happen yeah. and i'm not sitting here saying that that person is going to be me but find the person for you to make it happen totally you know totally like I, i'm a firm believer in that different things work for different people 100%. the right coach exists out there for everybody and i think it's interesting now to watch the evolution of the fitness industry as a whole and how the way that myths are perpetuated is different because people are wise to stuff now yeah. Um, so people are no longer believing the lies that I believed about like wearing the bin bag to personal training <laughs> and not eating any food after 5pm. But what I see now is people talking a lot about, for example, gut health, right? Yeah. Heal your gut. The reason you are overweight is because you need to heal your gut, right? The reason you are overweight or the reason you feel ill is because you have a parasite in your stomach. Mm. You need to, your body needs a detox to so do this just diet. Yeah. Like, 
it's 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 very clever how it's now targeted and branded as a woman a lot of the time i'll see it's your hormones it's not your fault yeah. it's your hormones right do you experience these symptoms it's because of your hormones the reason you can't lose weight it's because of your hormones the reason i can't lose weight is because i'm fucking eating too much I, I, <laughs> right and it's that simple but it took for me to work with you a professional mm -hmm. to know that it was that simple and even now give myself the reassurance that it's that simple because even this long on four years in i still see those myths sometimes and go oh that does sound like me i wonder if that is me because it's so clever yeah. and it takes me a minute to check and go there isn't any other reason other than you're eating more than you're burning exactly. and, and it's so hard to continually remind yourself to come back to that that that's why i think it's so important that everybody finds someone who can guide them and say to them that's a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> here's the science and when we were talking even about like metrics and numbers i can remember you doing a training we were talking about this today yeah, yeah, yeah. a training for all of us just breaking down the science of how you calculate you know calorie deficit it, nutritional statistics how our body works like don't get me wrong i had to listen to it like three times before i understood it i realized that that night that <laughs> no one could do maths in the program yeah you know what i mean there was teachers there and i was like you teach this but it makes so much sense <laughs> to you because it's in your head yeah, that's true. whereas we are consuming it all for the first time and i'm like Ugh. i listened back and even got confused because i was like jesus christ i lost my way because all of these guys couldn't do any maths yeah, totally but i think that just helped me realize how granular a level it's on and yeah. how easy it is to make one minor decision that impacts the whole thing yeah. right because i didn't realize i just thought if i'm not doing my steps for a week doesn't make a huge deal i'm just not doing my steps for a week and actually i'm sacrificing two thousand calories out the week if i don't do my mm -hmm. steps like fuck that yeah. do you know what i mean i would happily eat more eh, happily move more eat more yeah. like so it's just those really simple things and i think again coming back to those minor decisions the equal major outcomes that's 100 percent one of them like that yeah. decision to just not go out that day immediately the reward isn't obvious to you right yeah. the reward that that just going for a walk every day brings to both your physical and mental well-being 100%. that's not an your brain's not interested in that right yeah. it's not flashy enough it's not an immediate enough of a reward so to know that actually coupled with everything else you're doing is going to get you that outcome fast is so so crucial and we talk about this a lot in the program like the importance of that first six weeks because in that first six weeks it's so crucial that you see enough of a result that you believe that we are the right people to guide you and that you can trust yeah. that this is the right process for you because if you don't get that in that initial period of time it's a risky game for us all right because you're questioning your ability to believe in yourself and to believe in us mm -hmm. and i think we've we've seen people through all various stages who potentially have you know maybe come in not had the best run at it like shout out to leanne uh, our client oh, um, legend. Well, i think legend. leanne's a, an, a, an incredible example of this leanne had a rocky start when she first came into the program she wanted to leave a couple of times and she did a hot seat the other night and I asked her the question, if you'd left at the point in time that you were going to leave last year, where would you be? And she was like, lost. Yep. She's like, I dread to think where I would be because I thought I was done and I was nowhere near finished. Yep. And I think that's something that people underestimate so much is that they think that because they're flying in the weight loss phase, and they've done that that they've got the skills they've got the behaviors and actually i would argue although i've not been through it myself from what i've observed working with people in the community that maintenance that reverse diet and maintenance phase is harder because mm -hmm. exactly as you say you're relearning everything you're relearning your relationship with food it's beliefs is changing the beliefs in it 100 percent um and i think people probably underestimate how crucial that part is but again another minor decision correlates a major outcome on that tell us your any any that come to mind any minor decisions that you can think of over the last few years oh, that have Jesus. led to those major outcomes loads i've got loads so let's look back the first time i remember that i made a big decision was when i left exercise for less a personal trainer i think i'd been there for three years and i'd i'm not actually ashamed to say this but i worked myself up to being the best PT in the place and I knew that myself 
there was 23 PTs there at one point. I was always the busiest. I was the most insistent. Never missed client sessions, never slept in, like any of that stuff. If I did, it was a rarity. Um, and it was for like technological malfunctions, like the alarm no good yep. or me no we'll set the alarm by mistake, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as I would like to think. Um, so I remember they were then switching from us paying rent. So there was basically a structure where when you first started, obviously you didn't have a lot of clients and they basically sold like free sessions to members who were joining up and you as the PT used them as like leads to get clients. So I basically spent what two months I think it was before I got my first client doing sessions from dawn till dusk, literally every single day. I've spoken about this story a couple of times where I'd been working for like five weeks before I got my my first like real lead that I thought could turn to a client and I was so excited about like they actually hadn't come on fully as a client they'd finished their second session they were like you know what I'm really interested in moving forward really like you um I'm going on holiday for a couple of weeks so I'll speak to you when I'm back but that was like the first time someone had said that to me because when people are getting two personal training sessions for joining up to a pen, 10 pound a month gym like a lot of these people aren't actually looking to invest in long-term change and yeah. I'm going to say that outright here guys see if you're not willing to spend in your change mm change isn't going to happen yep. because you cannot be the best and be the cheapest. If you go to the cheapest and always continue to do it in that way, very often you'll actually spend more money than go to someone who is really good. So I, um, I done stations constantly. My mum and dad bought me a, and my brother and my sister had bought me a cooler bag to take my meals in at the time because I was like full on bodybuilder mode, like chicken and rice, <laughs> chicken rice four chicken and rice day. meals <laughs> need to be in this bag. Like I need to take my chicken and rice with me. And I actually just burst into tears because I was exhausted like mm. I'd actually quit a full-time job in call centers. I jumped about call centers for years, quit it in February, went through my PT qualification, which yes, looking back, it's not a great qualification for people to go through. They don't learn a lot from it, but I knew that I had the work ethic. Like I just knew I wasn't going to let it fail. It was never an option for me. Like this wasn't just something I was going to dabble in. I've now been in this industry something like 900% longer than most personal trainers. Mm. <laughs> but That's I don't amazing. even see myself as a personal trainer anymore. And it will continue to go in that way. Like even though yes personal trainer by trade it's more like mental and physical performance like yeah. it is because it's so much to do with the psychology behind it but anyway became really successful at um exercise for less and then they were changing it from the rent system so i was basically i'd worked through the ranks initially i was doing like 25 hours for them paying them to work 25 hours mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and also doing like five classes a week then i went up a tier was paying them more doing less hours doing less classes went up another tier paying them more doing less classes, doing less hours. Then I got to the top tier where it was like doing nothing for them. So like mm -hmm. you just had free reign. You only had to be there when your clients were in, which was fantastic. Um, and I'd been sustainable at that point for quite a while. One of my good pals who was a PT there who left, who'd built like a good group coaching program, Ali, actually bought his group coaching program off him as well. So everything was going really well. And that's, that's something you need to urge people to do is to like invest in themselves i remember at the time talking to my mum and dad about him selling it to me and i was like well he's selling business to me yeah like they were like well if he's moving why is he not just giving you the clients i'm like it's business yeah like i am not going to value what he's given me if it gives me it for free totally so he gave me that so everything was going great and then they decided to change it from our rent system to basically a salary system and they were going to be giving me i think it was 10 pounds for every session i took so my clients had to then go on their books and I was doing like 45 PT sessions a week, um, maybe charging 30, 35 pounds. Mm. Um, but reinvesting all that money pretty much in myself, like the people I've worked with in this industry, my first three, four years at least, pretty much every single penny I made was going back into my own development because I realized that each time I took on new people with new problems, I was in uncharted territory and I needed to be ahead. Yeah. So at that, decision, at that point, I was like, that is so below my worth. Like at that point, I'd built trust in myself to know I was good at something. So I then left, went to the gym group um, to work because they were the only people that would have me. And I had to go back on to doing hours, cleaning machines, all of that Aww. sort of stuff after working up to that point. Um, and only 40% of my clients came with me because you had to join the gym. Yeah. So they had to kind of rebuild a little bit from scratch. Then I ended up in New Age Fitness, um, where obviously we were working together. And that happened about eight weeks after I joined the gym. I wanted to go into New Age Fitness initially, but there was no spaces available um, because I know Stephen, the owner. And then it became available. And I'd obviously just made clients move to this other gym. And I was like, if I don't take this opportunity, like, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it work here. Yeah. Um, because the environment in that gym as well just wasn't great for Very me. Very different. Very different. Yeah. Like exercise for less was great. 
the gym was very different. I don't know what it was about it. It just wasn't the right environment. Mm-hmm. I could feel it like in yeah. my bones. And then I made the decision to go and UH Fitness. Then when I made the decision to pivot fully online um, during COVID, like obviously I'd been working hard at building a program at that time that was very different online from a lot of what other people were doing. And I remember like it was August, it was like a month before the gyms opened and I made the decision to be like, I'm not going back. Mm. And it couldn't have been a better decision. Yeah. And then from there, it's just been it's just been small things like people I've invested in, conversations I've had. Like I'm very, very quick to take action now if I see an opportunity because I've trained myself to be this way. Yeah. Like I know now that if I don't do something that's scary, the outcome isn't probably going to be what I want it yeah. to be. And that's why I wish that you could bottle whatever that is up, call it resilience, call it will, call it stupidity at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish you could almost like bottle up and give it to other people, but then they wouldn't have the opportunity to see how incredible it is to build it. Totally. Because when you build that capacity, like whenever we've been talking about the program as well, the changes that need to happen, when we identify, I'm like, I'm making that change now. Like yeah. it's happening. Like I don't care of like what maybe one or two people think because really I've got enough experience now to actually know life experience and professional experience. Whatever decision I'm going to make is going to be best for me and everyone else. Because if I'm at my best, the program runs better. Everything else is going to be at its best yeah. and people are going to achieve more. A hundred percent. And I think that encapsulates exactly what high performance is because it's about knowing and accepting that this is uncertain, it's unknown and it's complex but I'm following my instinct and my instinct is saying, go for that opportunity. It's almost accepting that it might be the wrong thing, but that's okay because even if it is the wrong thing, you're going that way for a reason. You'll know it's the wrong thing. You'll move. It's known that the right thing's always inevitable. The wrong thing's just something that gets in the way on the way to finding the inevitable. Exactly. And I've fucked up so many times along the way. Like I'm not sitting here saying all the decisions that I made along along the way were were right and, and worked for me first time. Like a lot of them like kept me up at night. A lot of them like really pushed my boundaries when it came to like me managing stress, holding down my own standards during it, made me communicate better. It meant that I got fucked over sometimes by people that I didn't think would fuck me over. Yeah. You know, I thought I knew people, their character and it didn't quite turn out that way. Um, but it's all learning. And through that learning, like there's a great saying back in the day that it pays to learn. Like you paid to learn going to all those shit PTs. Like yeah. you actually invested not only just your money, but it was your time, your energy, like your belief. My mental re- will. Your, your mental <laughs> will, exactly. Your mental capacity yeah. to do it. Um, and when you are able to take the lessons from that, because you only lose if you don't take the lessons. Totally. It's the only time you lose. People think they fail. Failure is just the lessons, but you will lose if you don't take the lessons and do something different further mm. down the line. Um, so I actually think we'll wrap up there and continue this in the next episode Good because time. we need to give these fuckers... Sorry. We need to give you something to come uh, back we for. We need to give you guys something to come back <laughs> for. Um, if anyone from the programs listen to this, they'll get that. I swear like a trooper when I'm excited. Um, so if anyone just took personally that I called you a fucker... <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. Um, but the more you listen, the more you'll get to know me. So, guys, please tune in next. We're actually going to probably kick off this conversation from where we left off in the next one. So, get some water, go a walk, do whatever you want to do, listen to us in the car. But, Jen, I appreciate you coming along. Sorry, and um, that was absolute gold. See you guys next Let's time. Do it again. <laughs>